Pastor Brett, as you know, came back from the Sudan last week, and he is uh, continuing a what he's calling a staycation, if you will. And uh, so uh, we have we're very privileged this morning to have a guest with us who is very familiar to many of us. Pastor Al James from Prescott Calvary Chapel is here with us to share the word. Well, good morning. Thank you for that nice round of applause. It's, it's well-deserved, so I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it's in the uh, low 90s in Prescott where my wife, Becky, who's here with me this morning, and I reside, and it's going to be a little warmer than that here today. And then when we're done with church, we're going to head on down to Tucson because my uh, daughter just moved there with her husband and two children, and we haven't seen them for a bit, so we're going to head on down and and visit them. But indeed, it is warm here. There is no question about it. Um, In case you hadn't noticed, it's warm in Surprise and in Phoenix. We're just staying around the corner here at uh, the Residence Inn. You know where that is. When we checked in yesterday afternoon, there was a lovely young girl working at the desk. I'm guessing she was 20 or 21 years old, and I was just being friendly, you know, trying to be a good Christian witness, and, and I did ask her a question. I said, has the air conditioning in our room been on for a while? And she looked at me, and she said, oh, yes, sir. She said, we keep the air conditioning on in all of the rooms all day. And I said, oh, really, in all the rooms? So my room's air-conditioned. And she said, yes. And I said, man, I wouldn't want to pay that bill. Of course, I was referring to the whole hotel. And she says to me, oh, no, sir, you misunderstand. The air conditioning in your room is included in your price. (laughs) I said, that's a relief. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, why don't you open to them to the gospel according to Matthew. And you can, uh, or turn on your devices, whatever the case might be, to chapter number 14. And as you can see by gazing at the screen, the title of our message this morning is Bad Weather Makes for Good Fishermen. Bad weather makes for good fishermen. Now from time to time, as our Lord permits and allows, we all face storms. We all face trials, things we would consider troubles. It happens to us all through our Christian experience, whether we are individuals or whether it might be a family crisis, even a church issue. The children of God should expect stormy days, stormy times. Jesus told us so, so we should expect them. And everyone in this room knows that they, from time to time, occur. 
Yet oftentimes, these moments of challenge, they make us wonder just a bit. When they hit, we are tempted to ask, what's up? What's going on? Or, or what is God doing? Or why is God allowing this to come into my life? Or into the life of someone that I love dearly? And then even beyond that, troubled times or waters or stormy days, they force us to decide how we're going to react to this storm. Are we going to react with fear, flight, or faith? They always bring an immediate challenge to how we're going to react and how we're going to respond to the Lord. I find it fascinating after being a Christian for many, many, many years and a pastor for decades that we can forecast some storms. I don't know what it is, but sometimes you can almost hear the footsteps sneaking up on you and you know things have been good for just a little too long here. Something's about to crash, I'm sure. But then as I look back over those many years of walking with the Lord and many years of being a pastor and in the ministry, I actually realize that most storms are unannounced. You don't get a warning. You don't turn on the television and they say, storm coming. They're unannounced. They're unpredictable. And most of all, what I have learned, and you'll agree with me, when they're coming in, you realize they are unavoidable. You can dance a little bit, you can duck and bob and weave, but they're unavoidable. And inevitably, they need to be weathered. And so when storms roll in, there is no alternative but to trust your compass and to check your bearings and batten down the hatches. Trust in the Lord our God and sail into it. You might as well. And this is a lesson that Peter, our hero for this morning's story, learned well. One night, this big hulking man of a fisherman, found himself in a desperate situation. He was in trouble. He had sailed into one of those unannounced storms. He was faced with a sinking boat. I'm assuming, like he was, a frightened crew. And as for Jesus, he was nowhere to be found. He was not on the boat. He was back on land. Now, normally I would read that story to you, Matthew 14, 22 and beyond. But this morning I'm going to step away from that for a moment because you all know that story. You've read that story. You've heard sermons 
on that story many times. So we're just going to talk about it. If you'd like to read it, you certainly can later on. Now, this incident where Peter and the boys were out on this small boat, and those of you who have visited Israel, I'm sure you saw a typical fishing boat from the day that they had somehow recovered as an artifact, and they're very small. You know, they're maybe 20 feet long and five feet wide at the most. Now, this incident occurred following an amazing day of ministry, a stunning day, a miraculous day, where the Lord had fed 5,000 people. It was a wonderful day. Can you imagine the joy when they were passing out the food? How exciting it was to be a servant of the Lord and people exclaiming how wonderful your rabbi is, how amazing he was, and some even whispering, truly, this man was the Son of God. But after the day was over and Jesus was dismissing the crowd, he told Peter and the others to get into his boat, probably Peter's boat, and sail across the Sea of Galilee. And obediently, they did exactly as the Lord commanded. Doesn't seem to be any hesitation we don't read about Peter or any of the others saying to Jesus, well, wait a minute. You see those clouds that are forming on the other side? It looks like there's going to be some wind coming down from the Golan Heights and whipping across this lake soon. There's nothing like that. They just obeyed and did as they were told to do by Jesus. And so they launched but during the crossing, an unforeseen storm, unpredicted, violently, it wasn't just a little breeze where the waves were choppy, it was roaring. And it slammed right into this little boat. And that quick, like so often it is, a dreamy day, of ministry and victory turned into a nightmare crossing. And in a matter of hours, maybe, maybe minutes, the apostles went from what you and I might describe the summit or the mountaintop of faith into a sea of fear. Happened very rapidly. Big change quick. Now, brothers and sisters, many of you in this room are my age or about that age. You know life can be like that. In a matter of hours, everything can change. One telephone call. Sometimes one word, one sentence. Perhaps one action that someone else takes or you take, right, wrong, whatever it might be, in a very short period of time, everything can change. And that's what happened to Peter. Now later, with the advantage of hindsight, Peter wrote his letters. 
1 Peter and 2 Peter to the churches. And clearly, as he's writing those letters and as you read through those letters, you can see that he understood many things then that he didn't understand that night. There had been some growth. And as a matter of fact, he penned the words grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And quite honestly, he had he had grown dramatically. Now the boat that was overtaken by the storm, interestingly enough, was the chosen vessel that Jesus told them to get into that would transport the disciples from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. That was the chosen vehicle. He said, get in the boat and go over to the other side. You know what that reminds me of? This church. No, not just this church, the church. The church of Jesus Christ. That's the chosen vessel in which we have been placed to sail through all the issues of this life until the Lord calls us to be with him. And Peter, I think he figured that out later as he wrote the letters or as he was ongoing in his ministry after the resurrection of Jesus. In any event, Jesus had made it very clear. They were to sail across Galilee to the other side of the lake, just as Jesus has made it very clear. Once you're born again, you're part of the body of Christ, you're part of the church of Jesus Christ, and you're an effective member in it. And obediently, they shoved off. And so I have to assume that Peter, trusting the Lord, he, he had his moments. You know, He didn't necessarily think Jesus was the greatest sailor or the greatest fisherman because he challenged our Lord a couple of times. But generally speaking, I would have to say, after witnessing the feeding of the 5,000, that he thought that the boat was a safe place to be. Just as you and I would tend to think the church is a safe place to be, or it should be. But what Peter didn't know that night, and what we often tend to overlook in our journey, me included, that there was a great lesson to be learned. There was something that had to be done in the heart of Peter and all the brothers on the boat as they experienced this horrendous storm. After Jesus fed the 5,000, the Bible tells us he went up into a mountain and he began to pray. He was probably praying for them. He knew about the storm. He was praying for them. Lord, Father, there's lessons to be learned. Help them learn them. And then after taking his time in the mountain, speaking with the Father and praying, Jesus came to their aid at the height of their distress. They were in full mode panic. And he came to them, and remarkably, as you know the story, he came to them walking on the water. They immediately became afraid. It's a ghost. It's a spirit. But he cried out to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. Stop worrying. And just by coming to them, and then, of course, by walking on the water, he was showing them that he was not only amazing, but he was faithful, and he was reliable, and he was caring. 
He told them to get in the boat and go over to the other side. They weren't going to make it. They were probably going to perish. So he, as the God of creation, came to them, rescued them, and made sure that they got to the other side. Be of good cheer. It is I. No, no, no. Don't be afraid. And you sense from the story that the presence of Jesus Christ made Peter, well, made everyone feel safe. In the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. So the presence of Jesus, if you're going through a storm, does as well. It, it gives you, it's not that you'll never be concerned about it, but you know, it's going to give you some peace. The kind of peace that he spoke of that passes all understanding, not as the world gives, but as I give. And then Peter, kind of looking through the rain and the mist and all the rest, he saw Jesus, heard Jesus, and he wanted to come to him. And he said, Jesus, can I come to where you are? And Jesus said, sure, absolutely. And so Peter stepped out and began walking on the water towards Jesus. Wow. And he suddenly found himself striding over what he had previously been worried about sinking under. And so he started walking to Jesus. But then his faith cracked. His faith faltered. And he splashed down into the sea. And he went down into the water. And I'm sure his head went under the water. Probably his sinuses and his mouth filled up with water. And he went down into the water for some very simple reasons. He doubted he could finish what Jesus had just directed him to do. He took his eyes off of the master. You can't do that when you're in the middle of a storm. He had placed his attention on the storm. You know how it would be. He's out in the middle of this lake. He could feel the wind blowing against him. He could feel the spray off the water drenching his clothes, the rain pounding down on his head and dripping off of his face. I'm getting too animated up here. Excuse me. My goodness. Oh, there it is. And of course, his eyes, his eyes saw the raging sea. And he plunged into the sea. Now he's soaking wet. But Jesus caught his hand, which means he must have come fairly close to the Lord. And when he caught his hand, this is what he said to Peter. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oftentimes when I come out the other end of a mess, I stand there and I kind of look up to the Lord, or I'm reading my Bible, or I'm in the middle of a sermon someplace, and I go, why did I ever doubt that the Lord wouldn't work, that the Lord would not take care of me? And Jesus said, why did you doubt? Well, he doubted and had trouble because he stopped trusting Jesus. He looked at the circumstances, and the circumstances were, were bigger and badder than he thought they were. So he stopped trusting Jesus. And the storm, the, the wind, the rain, the waves, the whatever, the creaking of the boat or the cracking of the boat or the leaking of the boat, whatever it was, it overwhelmed him. 
That's the answer. It's simple. Same reason we panic sometimes when a difficult situation comes into our lives. But Peter was rescued. The Lord pulled him out right out of that raging water that night. The Lord will always pull us out. He loves us too much. He didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead and make all those promises to us to watch us drown in the Sea of Galilee. That's not how he works. What he said is absolutely true. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden or worried or troubled or bummed or you know, feeling beat up, whatever it might be, and I will give you rest. What a great promise, and it's absolutely true. And it's being proven to Peter and the other apostles that night. Our Lord, if you look at his life, he was endlessly teaching Peter. Seems like sometimes Peter more than others, but not really. And the others to be men of what? Greater faith. Not just men of faith. There's men of faith everywhere. There's women of faith all over the place. He was trying to disciple them and develop them so they could have greater faith. He wanted them to grow. Peter knew that. He wanted them to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of him. And Peter eventually learned that as well. And so then after pulling Peter up out of the water, they got into the boat and Jesus commanded the wind and the sea become. And it instantly was. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory of the only begotten of the Father. He could calm the waves, and he could calm the, the sea, and the, and the mist, and the rain, and the wind, and it all. And then, if you continue reading in Matthew, you see the next day, the next day, after the storm, they wake up in the morning, the next day, you know what happened? Ministry continued. Life went on. But during that short period of time, might have seemed like all night for four nights to Peter and the other fellas, but really it wasn't. It was a relatively short period of time. And then the next day when the sun arose, ministry continued and off they went. There's always another day. Sometimes when I've been in the middle of what I consider to be a mess, I have often thought to myself, that's it. It's over now. There's only one thing left for God to do, and that's kill me. You know, there's only... But it's not like that. And then I've noticed that, you know, the, the, the sea starts calming down, the wind stops blowing, and, you know, a week later or two days later or whatever the deal is, it's all kind of back to normal, and and Becky will cook for me again and iron my shirt. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, but, but you know what I mean. But what an experience that must have been. What a lesson for Peter. I think it's a lesson that we all learn. We all need to learn it. We have to learn it. God doesn't want us to sit still. He wants us to grow, grow in our appreciation of him and grow in our faith of him and in his word. Without faith, you can't please God. All those that come to him must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. That's what God wants to do. He wants to change us, cause us to develop and grow and mature 
into the image of his own dear son. So, even when we're living wonderfully as obedient servants, there will be challenges. You can expect rough seas, unavoidable storms, because he's working in your life now for them, for them. It's always a big picture, you know. But always the Lord's going to come through. Some of us will get hit a little harder than others. I got it. That's just the way it is. But through and through, we need to keep our eyes on him. Now here you and I live. I live in beautiful Prescott. You live in beautiful Surprise. If I didn't live in Prescott, I'd be tempted to live in Surprise. I like it here. It's very nice. But as we live here in our communities, all around us is an ever-changing world. And humanism is becoming everything. And as a result of that, things are going to get harder for Christians. This is kind of a big picture thought. And they will get harder, but Jesus is not going to abandon his church. Is the church going to hit some storms? Absolutely. Is it already in some parts of the world for sure? Will it be challenging, more challenging for us to be dedicated believers in our neighborhood or with our families? I, I would say yes. I mean, I go to the gym every day, and I don't think any of the men that I work out with there are Christians. Most of them know I'm a pastor or used to be a pastor. They're not sure I was something. And they change their language a little bit when I show up. But it can be trying at times because they'll be talking about things, and I have to think, am I going to speak into this conversation or I'm just going to kind of you know, pull back a little bit and just do my exercises and go home. It'll be trying at times. We all know that, but he will not abandon his church ever. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. When Paul, if it was Paul, and we all think it was, wrote the book of Hebrews, he wrote these words. Listen, we are called to run the race that's set before us. Well, the race is set before us. It's going to have some landmines in it. It's going to have some gullies we got to jump over. And sometimes we're not going to maybe jump far enough. We're going to end down in the gully and going through a trial and a storm and scrape our knees and all of that. But we are called to run the race that's set before us. Now listen, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So you get smacked with a trial sometime in the near future or distant future, whatever, you have to go immediately to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Comfort me, strengthen me, empower me, give me wisdom, speak to me through your word. Let me continue to love and worship you and others. He is always the author and the finisher of our faith, our journey of faith. Peter as he went on as a servant of God, you read about him in the book of Acts, he had some pretty harrowing moments, many angry storms. Then he had his own internal storms, storms of doubt, storms of despair, suffering. Oh, whatever, I'm going fishing, he said, until the Lord caught up with him at Tagba and said, what are you doing? You love me, Peter? Then get out there and feed my sheep and serve me like you said you would always do guilt, chilling, prisons, beatings, trouble with churches for sure. 
storm after storm after storm after storm. But as we read his story and Paul's story, John's story, James' story, whoever we want to read, Stephen's story, the Lord always came through. And I want to promise you, because those stories are in there, that we might be equipped in our walk with the Lord, Jesus is going to come through for you as well. I promise you that. Gosh, it might sting for a little bit. Ouch, you know, I had some surgery done on my arm. I always have these things done. I'm, you know, the doctor, I, it's melanoma. They cut them off. All, they're all over me. They got slices everywhere. They're just growing up. I said, doctor, when's this going to end? And he looked at me. We're friends now. It's Charlie and Al. Because <laughs> I've had about seven of them. I said, doc, when is this going to end? He said, I'm not sure. Maybe just about the time I finish paying for my houseboat. The Lord will always come through. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Come on now. I'm going to say it one more time. Be, you know what? You say it after me. Are you ready? Because you've got to get this in your heart. I'm going to say it. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. It is I. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Amen. That's the truth. Joshua, he wrote these words. Be strong and be of good courage. Don't be afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. Now today, as I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, the church faces similar kinds of storms and trials that it saw 20 centuries ago. Unfair criticism. Tremendous unfair criticism about Christianity today. People totally confused. Undeserved attacks. A liberal, almost at times hostile government. Extreme liberalism where everything is applauded, no matter how weird it is. Challenging social conditions. Rejections. Just to name a few. Suddenly socialism is getting popular, and I'm going, what? I grew up when we were ready to bomb the socialists, and here we are. We just need to be of good cheer. Jesus is here. Jesus has a plan for his church. He's going to capture his church, rapture his church one day. Don't be afraid. I don't know when Peter was out on the water, don't you think? You know how Peter was. I'm sure he was bellyaching, complaining. He was afraid. He probably cursed, probably swore, panicked, grumpy. Grab that oar over there, yelling. He looked around. He probably assumed that he was the best sailor in the bunch, and he was wishing the other disciples were more seasoned sailors like him. A couple of them weren't sailors at all. He probably wished and cursed and swore that They'd never set sail in the first place. What a mess. Was he angry at Jesus? Absolutely. Why did he tell us to go out? He doesn't know anything about boats and sailing and fishing. He had a hundred issues going through his brain that black night. But then, when he was probably at his worst, probably sinning and frightened and 
panicking and yelling, Jesus showed up. That was a big night. That was a big lesson for Peter. It was a big night for all of them. And from then on, he went through a few hiccups, we know that. But he was confident that the Lord would show up. Whenever he was hit by a stormy dilemma, especially after the resurrection and after the Holy Spirit came upon the church and baptized them and strengthened them all and gave them the strength of the Lord and the power of his mind. Yes, a few missteps, but he, as you read about him in Acts, was the rock. He was solid. He was dependable. He became a greater man of faith. And by the time 65 AD rolled around, he wrote his letters. Be honest with you, he had good lessons and he had something to say. And this first church was struggling. You know, it started off like a boom, but there were some problems. They were going through stormy times. Nero's persecution was, that was the order of the day. And the intensity of the situations that they found themselves in and the persecution was grim. And the reaction of the church was not very strong. So he wrote to the elective God. He didn't want the faithful to give up just because it was tough. He thought to himself, if the Lord's servants abandon this ship, what do we do now? No, no, no. They need to stay aboard and wait till Jesus shows himself strong. And so the theme of his letters is one of exhortation. He exhorts the church, and he exhorts us by default to be faithful, to trust Jesus, to press on even when things aren't so good. For example, just listen. I'll read a scripture to you. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1. Just listen carefully. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, Lord wills, you are in heaviness through manifold trials, manifold temptations, that the testing, the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, even though it seems like the whole place is burning down and the boat is going under, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He's working in your lives, folks, and he's allowing it to happen this way. That's what he's telling you. He uses the word heaviness. He's not discounting their problems because that's the same word that John uses in describing the agony of Christ in Gethsemane when he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. He's not minimizing the reality of what they're going through. He says, I know what you're going through, but nevertheless, Jesus is going to be there for you. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. I think he's telling him to take a step back and look at the big picture. You know, whenever you're serving the Lord, you always need to take a look from 30,000 feet every every once in a while. Because I know how it is. Stuff starts happening. Things are going on. Grandbabies are being born. Trouble in the home group. There's this issue over there. I don't like my neighbor. And before you know it, this is all you see. You've got to step back sometimes and look at everything from a higher level. And remember what you're called to do, and that's to lay not up treasures for yourselves upon earth. Because the moths will eat it. Thieves will steal it. Rust will wreck it. We're supposed to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven 
where moths and rust and thieves can't get at it. And then he finishes that sentence in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if your heart is right, no matter what kind of tsunami is washing over your beach and creeping up to your front door, you will press on because you're looking at it from a lofty level and you want to be all that Jesus wants you to be. And so he's telling them, yep, I got it. You're in a real mess. That ministry is really a challenge, but be strong. Even though it was actually dangerous to follow Jesus, nevertheless, be strong. Even though you might lose your job because you're a Christian and not a Jew, be strong. Even though you have untold pressures, things that I don't even know about and family has rejected you, he said, be solid for the Lord. The ride is bumpy, but it's worth it. The ride is bumpy, but it's worth it. I'd rather have a bumpy flight and a safe landing than I would a smooth, easy flight and go nosediving into the tarmac, right? Which one do you want? I'll take the bumpy flight. Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Man, when things are awesome and going great, give it all to me, Lord, but I also want to know the fellowship of your suffering. And sometimes we just have to embrace suffering. We just have to bring it into our hearts and walk with Jesus through it. It's unavoidable. Batten down the hatches and let her rip. Men like Peter... And his friends like Paul, John, James, Nehemiah, Daniel, even David, and many others. They had nothing to do with retreat ever. They never cowered. We don't read about them really whining. Look what Nehemiah went through. Last time I was with you, I spoke about Nehemiah and his prayer life. He had all kinds of grief. He just stood up and said, we got it. We can make it happen by the power of God. Peter also tells us in chapter three of his first book, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Now there's a lesson. We have to pray when stormy times sit. I mean, really pray. I mean, you have to go someplace in your house and open your Bible and pray and really lay it before the Lord. And as part of that prayer, say, God, I don't like this, but whatever you're doing in my life, let it happen so I can be more like your son. Prayer. The Bible says, when you seek me, you'll find me. When you search for me with all your heart. You have to search for God sometimes and think, what is, how is this happening, Lord? The Christians were fleeing Rome. They were running from the fellowship. Running from fellowship. I was reading John MacArthur. Yeah, that's a word he used. They were running from fellowship faltering in evangelism, weren't sharing the gospel. Nero had threatened them so much, even denying their faith. The churches were breaking apart. But Peter was steadfast and he exhorted them, hold your ground, stay true to Jesus, fight the good fight of faith. Friends, this is our moment. You know that? I know that we're not the first century church. I got that. 
You know what we are? We're the 21st century church. And if ever the church light needs to shine bright, it's now. We need to stand tall. We need to be men and women of honor and dignity, faith and courage. We need to stand up to whatever comes our way with the help of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we all know who Sylvester Stallone is. Rocky, right? That's what he's famous for. Well, in one of his movies, I think it was Rocky II, he's facing a very fierce opponent. And his challenger was an intimidating, imposing man. He had muscles, well, he looked something like me, muscles bulging out, (laughs) strength, power. And he was just locking eyes with Rocky and staring him down. They got the camera angle. And he looks like he's about Brad's height, six foot 11 or something. Powerful muscles. And Rocky, with the way he got the camera, he looks like he's about four foot three, you know. And the drama builds, and the two boxers meet in the center of the ring. And this brutal brute of a man looks into Rocky Balboa's eyes and he says, I'm gonna bust you up. Just like a trial, a storm, a big challenge says to you, I'm gonna wreck you. But as that great song that you've all heard that's out right now, Fear is a Liar, what a wonderful song that is. Fear is a Liar. What does Rocky do? Does he start to shake? Does he start looking around to see how he can get out of the, out of the ring? No. He looks right back at that brute and looks him straight in the eye because he has lots of confidence in how he's been trained and developed and all of that. He's had a lot of fights. He looks him right in the eye and he says, go for it. Rocky is not about to back down. Now, we don't look at trials or difficulties and say, go for it, you know, knock me out. That's not our plan. But we don't want to back down. We don't want to give up. We don't want to run away. When hard things happen, when hard things happen in your, in your personal life or your family or your ministry or whatever it might be, just remember, Jesus is with us. He's always with us. He'll continue to be with us. And old Peter, he wasn't all walk. I mean, excuse me, all talk and no walk. He died in 68, three years later after he wrote his letters in 68 AD. And as you know, he was crucified upside down. So all that to say this. The storms, the trials, the tragedies, the troubles, It's just life. Can't be avoided. God doesn't let things come into your life that you can't handle. You know that from reading in in the Corinthian letters. But he will allow things to come, and they can't be avoided. And what do you do? You trust the Lord. You grit your teeth. That's what you do. You swallow hard, grit your teeth. You open your Bible, and you look for Jesus. You ask your brothers and sisters for prayer and love and support. And then you sail on. And if it takes you into the heart of the storm, so be it. But you do it in the power of the Lord. 
You keep your eyes on the Lord. Your ears open to the word of God. And in the end, bad weather makes for good fishermen going forward. Folks, it's never easy to serve the Lord, to walk with the Lord. It's never easy. There's always challenges. It's glorious. Ah, I got that. It's top notch. There's nothing better, but it's not necessarily easy. So my question, is there a storm? Well, lurking, ready to rain on you. Is there one already bouncing your boat around? Do you feel like, oh gosh, I might drown? You're tempted to quit. Oh, I'm just going to stay home. No, oh, I'm not going to bother praying anymore. I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of my child being sick. I'm tired of worrying about my grandchildren. You're not answering my prayers, God. I give up. I'm tired of not being able to find a job. I'm tired of fighting with the Social Security Administration to get the right amount on my check. Peter wants you to remember, and the Holy Spirit wants you to remember, that night on the Lake of Galilee. And he wants you to believe that you are to persevere and that your boat will show up on shore safely. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And that's the message that we learn from that great story. And Peter made it as a champion for Christ because Jesus loved him. That's how he became a champion, because Jesus loved him, ministered to him, because Jesus had prayed for him, because he trusted in the Lord with all of his heart as he went on in his ministry. And he was bold. And he said to the Sanhedrin, I don't know what you want me to do, but all I know is I'm going to do what the Lord told me to do. He is bold because he was empowered by God the Holy Spirit. So folks, say your prayers. Read your Bibles. Open your hearts to the Holy Spirit. Don't forget about the Holy Spirit. He'll give you strength and power and wisdom. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering. Let God the Holy Spirit sweep through your lives so that you're touching one another's lives and caring about one another's lives and ministering to one another and supporting one another, all the wonderful one another's. But you can't just look at the storm or the problem and you can't always just talk about your stuff. You know what? Jesus must be the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Bad weather makes for good fishermen. I love what you said, Jesus. I love it that you said to them, be of good cheer. It is I, and be not afraid. Lord, we're not afraid. We trust in you this morning with all of our heart. We're not going to lean under our own understanding, but in all of our ways, we're going to acknowledge you and let you direct our paths. What we ask of you, Father, is to give us the discipline to say our prayers, the hunger and the passion to read the word of God and let it feed our soul and strengthen us 
and that our heart would be open, we'd be vulnerable and yielded to God the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in our lives and through our lives for the glory of God. And lastly, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with love, with love for one another because it's undeniable and it is so needed in the world in which we live. So Lord, have your way in each one of our lives. Bless us and keep us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone agreed by saying amen. amen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you need prayer before you leave here this morning, I believe there's some folks that will be up in the front that want to pray with you. And then one more thing, just perhaps, just perhaps, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, this is the day to change all that. Come to him today. Tell him you want him as Savior and Lord and ask him to change your life. Maybe come and pray with one of these men and women that might be up front. But don't leave here today without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the very Son of the living God. God bless you.